What's going on, everybody? This is James Felton Keith, your host at Inclusionism, where we like to say individuals are at their best when they identify with the community, and communities are only at their best when they identify all of their individuals. Per that stance, this particular show will be a special edition based on a panel from the Personal Data Day Summit back in September this year. And the panel was titled Centering Racial Equity Throughout Data Integration. I think it's an interesting conversation between government and activist actors to try and agree on how we collect data on the individuals that participate in our communities. And I think throughout the conversation, we'll be exploring how ethical and or equitable the usage and distribution of this data is uh, to ensure that we can enhance quality of life. And so that's coming up next, and I hope that you enjoy. WHCR 90.3 FM, New York. I'm joined here by um, two extraordinary women. Let me um, give some context to this, again, very last panel of this year's odd COVID Zoom personal data day. I'm joined by Amy Hahn Nelson, who is at the University of Pennsylvania's AISP, which stands for the Actionable Intelligence for Social Policy Initiative. And we'll get into what the AISP is and what she does over there, uh, as well as Tawana Petty, who is the director of the Data Justice Program at Detroit Community Technology Project. And Tawana actually wears a bunch of other hats. I had to amend her profile on the Eventbrite a few times because as you can see her her hair is dope but she still wears a lot of hats which I don't understand and so as we get into to, to these two women and, and, and what they're doing and how they came together maybe we just start with just some very brief overviews of sort of what you're doing what um, thrusted you into this uh, the data space um and so maybe tawana what are what what you doing what are you what you been doing <laughs> how you doing and, and what, what have you been doing yeah how you doing james it's always good to see you out here doing the good trouble in the world yeah trying to. Um, <laughs> um so as uh james indicated i am my name is tawana petty i'm a lifelong detroiter um, I direct the Data Justice Program for Detroit Community Technology Project. I also convene the Detroit Digital Justice Coalition. I am a non-resident fellow at Stanford University's Digital Civil Society Lab, and, um, and I co-lead our data bodies. Um, and that is a, a participatory, well, start off as a participatory research project that then launched into more of a, a sort of initiative across three cities um, uh, with uh, organizers concerned with the ways that our digital and data information is shared, stored, collected, and utilized uh, to either prevent our livelihood or make our livelihood. And so and I'll so, just briefly say that. <laughs> that was good. It was yeah, wrapped in a nice little box now that's that that's perfect um right um i'm also as many of you know you know born and raised in in detroit uh we met in detroit on a on another panel and um Twan is the only other person i know who also has the same name as my mother and so like she's instant family right when we met 
anyway, I, w I won't get the tumble down that rabbit hole too much. A uh, new family, I had a 30 minute call set with Amy and it, it ran, you know, way long talking about sort of the way the world works and how we, how we can operate it better. So Amy, can you give us a, just a brief overview of what the AISP does and what it is? Sure. So um, I'm a, I am a native lifelong Charlottean. So mm -hmm. I live in Charlotte, but I work remotely even pre COVID for university of Pennsylvania. Um, so the, my work is national, so I can do that. And ASP supports government agencies in cross sector collaboration to help share and integrate data. Um, we mainly do the, we're not, we're not technologists. We are more folks on the data governance, kind of legal, ethical, privacy, risk versus benefit side. Um, yeah. I do a lot um, in like just one, like one on one technical assistance with folks. And then we do a lot of what we call like knowledge generation. So my background and what I still do a lot of in my own community is community engaged research. And I'm mainly a qualitative researcher. So mm -hmm. I, you know, my work is generally around like looking around, getting stories from people and then putting knowledge together. So we do a lot of that at AISP. We yeah. generate documents. A lot of them are collaboratively generated, like the toolkit we'll be talking about today. Um, so I describe myself more, more as like midwife than author, right? Like I'm not birthing the baby, but I'm making sure everything goes all right. Um, so it was a group effort, a collaborative effort, and, you know, everything's better when we work together. And so that's a way we, we develop a lot of our like reports at ASP. Um, they're from a lot of people, not just two or three people sitting in a, a place disconnected from other folks. So like, let's get right into this, this toolkit. So the, the title of this session is Centering Racial Equity Throughout uh, Data Integration. And again, this is in the context of, of how cities and, and municipalities deal with data. And so we're looking at uh, Amy on the, on the institutional side, although she's not directly with a municipality, but they're advising a bunch of them. Uh, and Tawana on the organizing and activism side saying this is what we how we think things should happen. The most extraordinary thing to me about the two of you is how you've figured out how to come together and use like language to communicate better with each other. I think often in, you know, as an activist and, and, and knowing activists who are in a lot of different areas focus on a lot of different things. Uh, there just there tends to be this sentiment that um, that we can't figure out how to use again like language to start to facilitate the process of change management. I feel like I'm being too wordy even right now, but uh, oh no, maybe not. So I guess I I would love to start with um, sort of in the origins of the AISP, uh, just specific to this toolkit for centering. Uh, racial equity through um, through data integration. And I'm gonna think about integration as collection, but I want you to correct me where collection is not adequate for the actual word integration, uh, or, or Amy, that is. But, but I mainly wanna ask you, what compelled you to try to figure out how to do it right? where you're basically doing this sort of ground up identification of what data is and who it is of yeah. before you integrate it with the institutions that are our municipalities that are arguably crippled 
uh, meaning they don't have the sort of staff that say a, a private institution might have to explore this. Not that they get anything right many times either, but that's a bit of a crazy question, but you know. It's not, it makes little know. sense to me. Um, this is where our call ran way long last time we talked. It did, yeah. it did. Yeah. It's kind of a bad question to ask. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a, a couple pieces. One, like the work of AISP is based upon research and evaluation and, and, and work using administrative data that's been done by other people. So we looked around and looked at best practices and, and all this work is trying to improve the lives of individuals, of residents, right, is the way we think about it. Because a lot of our work is very geographically constrained. Um, we mainly support cities, cities, counties, and states. Um, so we looked around and we, we do a lot of TA around, you know, these groups. And we had a lot of people saying like, we need help here. We need, we know there's bias in our data. We know our institutions are failing our residents. We see the disparities, like no matter what analysis you run, you see disparities. Um, and we just don't know what to do about it. And so in our normal way, we we like theory, but that's not how we drive our works. So we looked around and we just couldn't find anything. We could find bright spots like our data bodies that Tuana authored. We could find a lot of bright spots and a lot of great pieces, but not the type of like large institutional organizational change that we like to lift up. So we tried to figure that out. It took us a couple years. Like we started this work in 2017 and we just released the toolkit um, in June, 2020. <laughs> so um, yes, it, it took a yeah. while. Yeah. The process was a process, right? It was a, um, the process was tried to be authentic, but it was hard. I mean, like we laugh, we first started out like our first session, we had terms, everyone submitted terms. They thought we had to like define and operationalize before we move forward. We had 150 terms. Well, talk about that. So <laughs> there's a there's another document that we've been trying to push out to people in email blast separately from the toolkit. There's an intro to data. Is it data integration or data yeah. collection? That, that was a parallel document that we, it wasn't funded. We, we, you know, I'm kind of famous for doing unfunded projects, as any of my colleagues will will tell you. Um, but it was this parallel document because what we found is we had people like Tuana and other people that were very versed in racial equity, very versed in like systemic inequity, institutional racism, you know, all these deep spread issues with our policies and our practices. And then we had people who really understood like the technical infrastructure, like how you link you know, what approaches, what type of data architecture you need. And you had some people that could talk with languages. We did have a few of those, Tawana, I think would be in that category, but they're very unusual, right? So we had to bridge the racial equity content knowledge with the data infrastructure knowledge. And the racial equity knowledge is there. There are lots of documents that can do that. There's an amazing wealth of resources to onboard people to those really important concepts and get them built up to speed that body of knowledge did not exist for the data integration piece. So we had to create it. Yeah. Yeah, we I think merge the two. That part is fascinating. Well, just that that document also exists to, again, define terms. Because I think in informal conversation and in casual conversation, you know, as we are all using language, I think rarely, even after, sometimes after we define terms, we realize we're never fully understanding, you know, what other folks are saying. And so, you know, we're, so we're using stories and, and making analogies, 
to sort of convey what we mean. Um, so again, folks, we're gonna do our best to continue to push these documents out. They just came out and I feel like everyone should know about them if you're using them in, in whatever city. But uh, I will say, yeah, in, in the, the activists that I've met, and this goes back to, to you, Tawana, that have been um, sort of in the space of not just data, but sort of tech before that, it, you know, she's a bit rare. And I think Glenn Weil, who hosted the conference that we met at called Radical Exchange, he was the first person to ask me like, well, well do you know, you know, Tawana? And I was like, no, you know, I was embarrassed. You know, and it was sort of this thing, and this is sort of, this is maybe like a, a crash joke, but it's also the truth. Sometimes you get into these situations where people are like, do you know the other black people? And you're like, well, of course, no, we don't all know each other. But then a piece of you feels like, well, well, I should probably know her. And we're from the same city. And, and through talking, realize we're, anyway, there's all sort of intertwinings. So yeah, I think uh, in, in other projects, I've dealt with a bunch of activists who are like, you know, we wanna, we wanna come and change something at, at the city and we need to know how to do it. How do we do that? So Twan, I, I'd love for you to tell us pre-Amy, right? Pre any of this activity, pre you being sort of the, the entity that you are wearing all these hats across different organizations and then advising orgs that, that are not dealing in your, in your locale. Um, what was the uh, experience like trying to figure out how to bring in any sort of uh, racial equity, racial justice into the, wherever you wanna go, whether it's the data collection community, the broader surveillance community, um, you know, access to resources and internet, you know, this goes a lot of different ways when you think about how our communities are dealing with just sort of a, a dearth of access to tech in general. So yeah. before this, what is that experience like? And, and who are you dealing with, if anyone at all? And by the time you run into an Amy, are you just sort of like pounding the table with what's not happening? I mean, what, what's, give me sort of any color about yeah. what the landscape is like, if that's a decent question. Oh, but, it's, yeah. a decent, it's a decent question. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, I, yeah, I'll, I'll, put it, I'll put it like this. Um, I've spent a tremendous amount of time uh, pounding the table um, in, in, uh, with government institutions, with law enforcement, with corporations, with, uh, with nonprofits, uh, you name it, um, and saying like, these are the ways that our community members are experiencing these systems that you keep innovating. Mm -hmm. um, and who are you talking to when you decide that this is the solution that we need? Um, because what I'm seeing is a lot of disparity, a lot of marginalization, a lot of targeting, a lot of surveillance. And we're living under what I, what I, I don't like to call, but I frequently call uh, the biometric industrial complex, where, you know, every aspect of our bodies is being utilized for profit. Um, and so, you know, when, when folks are saying like marginalized communities, I live in a whole entire city that's black, <laughs> you know, 80%. Black uh, had a median income pre-COVID-19 uh, at $29,000 a year. And since COVID-19, 40% of the, the residents here have lost their jobs. And so how do we respond to that? More surveillance, 
more hyper hyper policing, more militarization, more, you know, more, more, more uh, innovative, quote unquote, solutions innovative, to public right. safety that don't, right, exactly, that don't include resources. Um, yeah. And so when, by the time I met Amy, <laughs> and Amy reached out, I was like, I don't know about this. I don't, <laughs> I, you know, I'm like, you know, cause I feel like I'm talking, you know, till I'm blue in the face quite often, right? Um, and and all and almost always in resistance to um, to this new thing, you know. Uh, um, and you probably experienced this, like you're you're seen as like typically I'm seen as like the community member, the black woman who's mm -hmm. passionate, who can bring like that aspect to the table per right. se. Um, but I really felt some genuine concern. Um, in all of my dialogues with Amy and, um, and I'm a really good read of character. And so I was like, I'm going to give this a chance, you know, and then Tamika Lewis, another one of my comrades was also like vouching, um, uh, and they're a comrade, uh, also a co-lead of our data bodies, which we did over seven, just to give you a brief, um, idea of what our data bodies is, is yeah. over several years, we did research across three cities, Detroit, Charlotte, and LA. And we were having these uh, community conversations with residents about like how they were experiencing these systems. And there was this constant running theme across three cities of we feel tracked, we feel targeted, we feel surveilled, we feel watched, we don't feel seen. Um, and these systems are communicating with us, um, but they're not, they're communicating with us uh, with the intent to extract data or to marginalize us from resources. But when we need information, we're unable to access that information. Or the smallest mistake that we've made in our lives is being replicated across systems and then we're being penalized. So if I, if I don't pay my water bill, it's following me. You know, I can't access housing and those sorts of things. And so when Amy yeah. was talking about centering equity throughout data integration, of course, Tamika and I were like, we don't want data integrated at all. But, <laughs> but, but we got, yeah. once yeah. we got into the room and we saw that there were so many stakeholders like philanthropy, city government agencies, folks who were, um, who were really trying to figure out how to not replicate harmful systems. Um, and, and Amy kept bringing us back to the table, like even through shouting matches and even through us saying like, we disagree with this or we disagree with that. There was a, a level of consistency um, that I haven't seen. Normally what happens is people bring you to the table, they wanna pick your brain. Um, and when you disagree, you don't hear from them again. And then they put something out um, and, and then say that you advised. And that is not how this process went. And so I was really, excited um and and we didn't just travel back and forth we we had phone calls we had meetings and this was over a two-year period like amy said and so um yeah it was tremendous when the toolkit came out i was really excited i think i tweeted it and um like mm. the next day and people from all over the world were mm -hmm. like i've been waiting for something like this <laughs> yeah um, and so, yeah, so that, that is how the process went. And of course it's, it's a beginning. It's not, you know, this isn't the, the solution to all the crises, but the right. fact that there are so many government institutions not centering racial equity, not even talking about racial equity, um, yeah. gives us a tremendous end to that dialogue. Yeah, and interesting, uh, I, well, Citigroup just published 
and I just saw this because of some other projects that I'm uh, involved in, just via uh, diversity and inclusion. But Citigroup just published a paper, I think, like two days ago, that said um, that we're missing about $16 trillion in GDP just in this country alone based on systemic racism. And it's just because of the lack of access uh, to, to resources, banking resources, but also the ability to distribute um, authorities uh, per um, valuable entities, whether they be institutions or, or, or products or, or you name it. And so, again, when I found out what this was, just based on, you know, an email from you, my mind was sort of blown, too, because before I was this, you know, politician activist guy, I was really just in corporate change management, or what we liked to call at that time, uh, corporate ethnography, or the ethnography of tech. We go in the cities, we go into corporations, we go into, you know, large institutions to try to understand um, what the culture of those institutions are like via the tech that they're using to communicate with each other. That's a bit long-winded, but um, these frameworks are absolutely necessary if we're going to see sort of real change come into play. So let's just talk about if, if it's possible, Amy, to, is it possible to sort of bullet point some of what the, the toolkit is? Just Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's a, we try to make it an intuitive framework. So if you think about any kind of data use and if you're, you know, listening to this right now, you probably have some kind of, I mean, we all have experience with data, right? I see data as information. All of us have experience with data and information in some way. So you think about the process, right? So planning is the first step and then you have, um, you know, data collection. So you got to kind of plan what question you have and you got to figure out how you're going to collect that. Maybe that data already exists. That's the data that we mainly focus on at AISP is what, what's called like administrative data reuse. So we're reusing something that already exists for a different purpose. So because of that, you have to be really careful about it, right? Because it wasn't collected for the purpose upon which you're using it. So data collection, um, and then the next step is data access. So that really gets at this like democratization of data. Um, we talk a lot about access within the toolkit. Um, I personally think we have a lot of data that's open that shouldn't be because I see it as a, a privacy issue. Um, and it's just incredibly, I see it as discriminatory. Some mm. people would find fault with that word. Um, so data access is a focus we look a lot at. Um, and then um, data analysis. Wait, but does that fall so, into the access category? The the potentially discriminatory data? Yeah. That's a more that's an access problem. Yeah, so we talk a lot about like what's open, what's restricted. So in my world, I work a lot with restricted data. So data that can be used legally and ethically if you do it really carefully, right? right. And then there's some data that's just unavailable. Either it doesn't exist or it shouldn't be used. Like a good example I commonly use is like domestic violence data. That data exists. We have shelters that store that data. In my opinion, I, in my experience, have found very few examples where the risk is worth, or where the benefit is worth the risk of disclosure. Of disclosure. So that's an example. That's yeah. a good one because the, the panels right before this, there were a, a lot of folks talking about data collection, mainly outside of this country about domestic violence data. Uh, so really, for me, you know, being a, a guy who wears a blue suit most days, 
just sort of mind blowing stuff coming out of Bosnia and India, but um, really risky I, data collection. Yeah. Yeah, but but oh yeah, that was the question. So, in your experience, are these sort of um, community-based organizations or nonprofits collecting that particular kind of data, or is this data that is resting at the municipality? It's I mean, both. They're regulated different ways, and I yeah. think that part matters. So here's a good example. So we deal with both. So restricted data can be, so nonprofit data is technically private data, which isn't always covered by right. privacy law, you know, the privacy rule of 74, it's, it's, it's private data. It's kind of the wild west. Um, but then there's some like hybrid data, like anything in the homeless management information system. So if you have shelter data that is domestic violence related, you know, you may have housing or homeless shelters that have HIV status, domestic violence. I mean, it's a tremendous amount of data where if it's in, it can, it's a huge privacy risk. So it just, right. it, it legally can be shared. And in some cases it may be ethical and a good idea, which is like our three parameters. Any kind of data access and use should be legal is the lowest bar. Okay. Ethical, and then a good idea. <laughs> so DV is one of those, it's probably not a good idea. Um, right. So that third piece is and yeah. probably should be something that is more sort of bureaucratic. Who's saying it is a good yeah. idea? So there's a lot of data that's right. open or right. green. We, we like green, yellow, red. Um, there's a lot of data that's open that probably just isn't a good idea. It's legal. Some people may think it's ethical, right? Because ethics is a very expansive space. <laughs> right. um, but a good idea, you know, is also important. So so that so think going back to the data life cycle so planning yep. data collection data access the next stage is data analysis yeah so when you're analyzing data as a community-based researcher i feel very strongly that you have to pull in people that are in the data because they're going to have different explanations for what you're seeing than you know maybe someone without lived experience or somebody who doesn't in the context right so we talk a lot about um, processes for, for analysis and that's a good place for like staffing is really key um, the the like simple example I give here is in my old yeah, what do you mean by staffing yeah so in my old role I led an integrated data system here in Mecklenburg County and I always laugh like I mean this was like almost a decade ago I went in I'm looking at extracts of a data source and there literally were no women in the extract yeah I was gonna say especially about that <laughs> domestic violence data you got a board of all uh, guys they're not yeah. gonna Think, yeah, yeah, so I look at it and people are like, oh, no one's ever noticed that. And it's because I was the first woman to yeah. look at this extract. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, laugh out loud, funny. I mean, like I said, this was a decade ago, but still yeah. a good example. So analysis, like people matter. Yeah. Um, we, that's a, a good place where staffing is really important. And then the next stage is use of algorithms or statistical tools. Um, yeah. We generally recommend what we call a developmental approach. So like before you use algorithms, you should first be using like tally mark charts or yeah. cross tabs as they're called in the statistical world, right? Um, so you should be tabulating things before you're predicting things with a series of data fields. Sure, so sure. it should be developmental. You should walk before you run. Um, and then the last stage is reporting and dissemination, like how things are reported and how data is provided is, is really, really important. And some of the most egregious acts of inequity are in that last stage. Um, mm -hmm. And so 
the toolkit is organized around these six stages and we list out positive practice and problematic. Um, all the, you'll, there's tables of these things and these are all yeah. like real life examples. So these are all examples. We sent this out to dozens of reviewers, both part of the work group, work in action contributors and other people. So dozens of people weighed in and gave real life examples. Everything yeah. in there is something that has been experienced in the US with administrative data reuse. When you, when you we talk about uh, inequity in the, in the reporting, mm -hmm. is that uh, more, is that because of like potential stigma, things like that, or am I thinking about it the wrong way? Is it? No, that, that's a perfect example. There are a million ways, right? I mean, the, fa the, the easiest one is you have something that comes out and it's, you know, a 120 page paper or you collect all this community-based data and it's behind a paywall. Uh, like that's another oh, good example. Yeah, yeah. Which is, that's what academia does, right? Um, in right. fact, we're in the process of putting this toolkit in an open source journal right. for that exact reason. So it can be peer reviewed and cited in the academic literature and available to anyone. We're in the last stages of that. It'll be published in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I won't lie. I was just, I was surprised at myself reading it and then, uh, talking to actually some of the folks who were on the last panel uh -huh. about it and then just saying because they immediately asked was does she want to write a book and I was like well I talked to her and you know she's written and she's got kids and she's like she's busy but she hears you <laughs> and you can read the toolkit um so nothing just all of that stuff is is necessary I can say as someone who so I came to back to Detroit briefly during or right after the bankruptcy. And I was interviewing for a deputy CIO role, uh, in my opinion, only because I hadn't been a CIO for a municipality before. I remember they were sort of teetering between the CIO in Louisville and the, who is the CIO in Detroit now, her name is uh, Beth, and the former CIO in New Orleans. And as the teams were talking about how this city comes out of, out of bankruptcy and what sort of tools and tactics it has. Folks like Socrata, uh, a, co a corporation out of um, San Francisco who does a lot of open data platforms, or they sort of have a skeleton open data platform. Uh, they have representatives at the table, but I can tell you at no point were we thinking about even my, and I feel guilty saying this now, but I think that was six, seven years ago. That was 2013. Man, it seems, I can't believe it's, it was that many years ago. But it was around 2013, and um, we, we were not taking into account any of that stuff. Tawana, just, I guess, because Detroit is, I guess, relevant here, what, what was going on in your world, and if you can remember, in that sort of 2013, 2014 timeframe, from this standpoint, was this, was this an issue then, or are a lot of your initiatives newer than that? Were, were folks talking about this, this sort of thing? I mean, yeah, I can tell you our language was contrived bankruptcy, if that gives you any um, yeah. <laughs> indication of where we were yeah. uh, and what we were writing. Um, and maybe not thinking of it from like a data analytics or data integration standpoint or perspective, but, but understanding the power of narrative, right? And the power that narrative has on policy making. Um, and so, you know, Detroit being, and I say this all the time to anybody who will listen, you know, I'm 40, 
just turned 44. I had to remember how old I am, 43, 44. Anyhow, um, just had a birthday. I can't remember. So, (laughs) (laughs) but for the last half century or my entire life, we've, we've been under a particular dominant negative narrative and that type of narrative, which I consider narrative like data, right? Um, It's like this compilation of ideas and thoughts, um, images and all sorts of uh, ways that people articulate your existence in the city. And so because of that, so many things get implemented here that don't, that get very little resistance. People just kind of go along with it because that's what the data says. The data says that the people in Detroit are hopeless and helpless and can't take care of their property and they're violent um, and, you know, and all these sorts of things. And so when the bankruptcy came to the city, we just saw it as another opportunity to, to grab the water um, yeah. and other types of significant infrastructure here. And so, um, yeah, so we were having a dialogue, not with this specific burbage, but we understood those of us on the ground who have been uh, fighting these systems for a long time or trying to make them more racially equitable. Um, yeah. We understood uh, that the, 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 the narrative or the, or the integration of these systems that were having one particular dialogue were having this sort of negative impact on how we were able to make a livelihood. And as you can see, post-bankruptcy, there's only about a three-mile radius of the city <laughs> that yeah. is um experiencing any sort of vibrancy um and so yeah and they rebranded the different yeah those neighborhoods weren't called what they are now right absolutely there was complete and total erasure right exactly yeah um no yeah just again I, I wanted to sort of leverage these personal stories to to uh i guess drive home because I think this is valuable for not only like a Detroit, but again, you know, Charlotte and uh, and Baltimore and, you know, Philly, a, a much bigger city, but even, the, you know, the Clevelands and the Pittsburghs and parts of New York, uh, we deal with a group here and you may be familiar with them, Silicon Harlem, who's here uptown in Manhattan. And they're, they're leading some arguments around, uh, again, like internet access, but also data collection, et cetera. And then there's a lot of new uh, policing data initiatives popping up, which are uh, well-meaning, but don't really have access to information uh, around uh, arrests and, and, and violence and arrests and, and other things. But even going outside of policing, it, again, there's just, there seems to be this dearth of data in so many places. And I think that those exist because a lot of cities are fearful of what will pop up if they collect the data. And what, in my work, I'm regularly trying to communicate to these folks is if you have a plan to get better, a lot of people are willing to accept you where you are. You just have to tell them how you're gonna methodologically get better at collecting data, reporting out about folks and and assessing that data. So I guess use the last three, not in a chronological uh, way of the the uh the aisp toolkit so we're almost sort of coming up on on time i know that you all are sort of on the ground doing the work regularly is is this the kind of work i feel like i already know amy's answer is gonna be i'm curious to know if if you all would be interested in leveraging a toolkit like this 
to engage large uh, non-governmental institutions and, and for-profit institutions, right? So, so government is large and complex and has its issues. Is can I rinse and repeat this in other places? If not, off the top of your head, what would what would you modify? Is that a bad question? Again, I'm just coming to this with sort of. I didn't write these down. <laughs> I mean, so in full disclosure, I we get a lot of inquiries. I get I'm getting a a couple a week, and they're from. I do have private sector inquiries. Um, I mean, we mainly deal with government data because that's frankly what AISP does. Like that's our that's our lane is administrative data reuse. But I personally have a lot of experience with nonprofit data um, because a lot of these a lot of data integration efforts is about con connecting in government data with the with the organizations need who are supposedly hopefully serving communities is connections so they can you know improve services yeah. and outcomes ultimately. Um, and that's really hard to do. So you have a lot of these CBOs and nonprofits um, who are working blind, right? So you have like school-based nonprofits that have no school data. Um, yeah. And so a lot of what I've done in my career, and I've done this through AISP as well, is help make those connection points. Um, so yeah, I think there's tremendous applicability to nonprofit data and for-profit data. Um, and I think we have a moral imperative to demand that government get it right. Yeah. Like yeah, private companies aren't charged, well, I mean, at the rate we continue to privatize things, maybe, but at this point, government still is in charge of services for improving the lives of residents. And, and so just because it's hard and just because it's burdensome and does, no one's off the hook. Right, like that's the whole point. So we do a, a I do a, quite a bit of presentations about this topic, and the, the one place I land always at the end is like there is something for everyone to do. The toolkit is very clear. Like no matter where you are, whether yeah. you're a data owner, a data steward, a data custodian, a caseworker, um, a website designer, like no matter who you are in an organization, there is something you can do today to yeah. acknowledge and center racial equity. And the toolkit gives very clear examples of that, both yeah. like in those tables of practices and also in um, examples of, of people doing the work right now in the U.S. Tawana, I thought it felt like you were going to say something. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I, I was just going to say, imagine if law enforcement was being trained on something like centering racial equity throughout data integration and, and imagine the impact that could have on like biometric surveillance, right? Or or any of the other systems that are put in place um, that have sort of a tar targeting framework that's really a lot of times replicating dirty data or like predictive um, models that keep continue to target the same neighborhoods over and over and over again um, that start off with you know, profiling and because you get a bunch of people profiled, then now you have this data that says that's a dangerous neighborhood. Um, and then you just keep replicating that. So imagine if, you know, institutions like that were being trained on something like uh, this toolkit, right? Um, like I said, it's, it's not the end all be all, but it really has opened up an opportunity to have this type of 
dialogue with various types of people, people who don't even own organiz uh, organizations or aren't even like Amy was saying, who aren't a part of corporate institutions or governmental institutions. And they just want to be deeper di in a deeper dialogue around what it even means to center racial equity. And so okay. like this toolkit yeah. has been used in various ways um, that don't um, include governmental institutions, but also it needs to be in the hands of governmental institutions um, yeah. and, and particularly um, institutions like law enforcement who are rapidly being uh, entering into relationships with corporations who are targeting them because they want this data um, and they want to be able to leverage this data and they're not caring about the impact on the other end. Um, right. and so, yeah, I think, I think that it can be uh, used and analyzed for various uses. Yeah, I, I honestly looked at it. Um, and again, I was surprised at how sort of, I was surprised that I was reading it. You know, you, you get a document, you go, you know, this is nice, whatever. And you, you throw it in a bucket with stuff. You're like, yeah, we're going to do a thing around this and we'll call some people in and we'll send a video out. But no, you, and really reading it, I've, the way I felt about it was that it was sort of a, a DNI framework for, for this. And um i would like to especially you know we get we got a bunch of political races coming up here in 2021 for city council and you know in new york a city council seat is like being the mayor of cleveland and um i mean so you're representing about that many people and so i've just been thinking more and more about because a lot of people come to me and go how do we talk about the tech <laughs> like well and i think to Tawana's last point is there are a lot of people who want to figure out how to get involved. We had a pretty large event here at a pretty huge, huge uh, church on the on the far west side. Not just big in congregation size, but it's a big piece of land. It was built by the Rockefellers back in the day. And the NAACP did an event there with a bunch of academics. And I was shocked to see how many people there came to talk about uh, personal data use. It was not my event. Uh, I was just sort of invited as a guest. I was not asked to speak, slightly offended by that. But um, there were a lot of people there who were just intrigued. People know that something is happening. They just don't know how it's happening and how to get involved. And there were conversations around what can we bring into our community boards, which is uh, it happens sort of council district by council district here in, in, in the New York boroughs. And then we have other boards that deal directly with the police precincts that filter in the community. So there's a lot of local infrastructure normally run by old ladies who are building tenants association uh presidents we all live in you know buildings out here uh and and again they're curious about what sort of tools and tactics they can use to start to uh erect new infrastructure in these old institutions whether it be the police or the municipality or you name it um so I've exhausted all my questions. I just, I wanted to sort of put that on display so that I have some, some content to throw with the, uh, I, you know, I'm an activist, so I'm gonna, as I push this document into more people's hands, like, look at these two, like, hear them out. You don't have to hear me say it. Are there sort of any last thoughts? Oh, you know, before last thoughts, do you see this sort of, do you see the toolkit being used anywhere that is of particular interest right now, especially like any, any police departments, is that popping up on either one of you all's radars? 
something sexy like that happening? Not yet, which is fine if it's not yet. But. <laughs> uh, not yet, but it's, it's definitely my goal. And I'll tell you, I'll give you a great example of how the toolkit has been used. Um, so the definition that we all collectively came up with for racial equity has now been implemented into a Detroiters Bill of Rights of which uh, James, you know, you and I have been talking about some form of a Bill of Rights for Detroit for years. Um, and so I'm working uh, with two city council members in Detroit, um, and we created the Detroiters Bill of Rights with several other organizations, and we're using that lens to try and amend the city's charter. So, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that that is one way. And then, of course, Amy and I were just talking to the Canadian government recently. And uh, um, and uh, we got some officials there that are feeling really good about the toolkit um, yeah. and are thinking of ways to implement. And so, yeah, so uh, in a roundabout way, um, it's definitely getting into some some really good hands who can make some um, some really good impact on policy. And, uh, and, and the things that are happening in our cities. And I expect that that's going to continue to be so. Yeah, we'll play. I say I, I, there, I have some particular interest in trying to get something similar. I know a lot of folks are talking about policing right now, but in New York, I think the, the, um, the MTA and the Department of Transportation uh, have some unique access to all, all communities and could really benefit from, from something like this. And um, so we plan on trying to engage them with, with something like this. But um, any anything else from you, uh, Amy? Yeah, I mean, I'll just say like one of the, the frames that we use for the toolkit is this idea of infrastructure, right? Like you look at the 1800s and our great not nationwide infrastructure project were the railroads, right? The 1900s, it was the highway system, and both of which we know now with a historical lens, either like highly developed um, communities and individuals and plots of land, or completely decimated them, right? And we have that historical record. And so we, we try to make the argument that our infrastructure project of our century is data infrastructure. And we can either contextualize it appropriately in a historical context with the re lived reality and the historical reality of, of residents in our country, or we cannot. And if we don't, we're gonna make the same mistakes we did with the previous, you know, century focused infrastructure projects. So like we have a time to do it right. Yeah. Um, and so we hope that people think about it because all of these are design decisions and a lot of them are fairly simple, you yeah. know, and a lot of, for example, like data collection, it's as simple as like, don't force that field. Um, a lot of times it's like a keystroke can be the difference between equity or inequity um, yeah. for that specific field. So um, the main plea of the toolkit is to acknowledge the racialized history and context of our lived experience and the data that describes that experience and then build that into how you look at infrastructure. I could, perfect. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you both uh, for taking the time on what Friday at, at 4.30. Thank you, really. Um, that's all I got. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be in touch. We'll, we'll be sending some emails out. Some people may bug you. I get that there are capacity issues, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank, you for being, thank you for being available. 
James, right. I want to I want to say one thing really quick. I want to say I would be remiss if I didn't say complement the toolkit with the digital defense playbook, which is our data bodies. Uh, digital defense playbook. So that's odbproject.org. And I think that they're a good way to bring people into like that has like some exercises, uh, community stories and things. And then you can bring people into the analysis and take them over to Praxis with the Centering Racial Equity Toolkit. What, what really are the cities? Oh, go ahead, Amy. Yeah. No, Jay, they're, they're really complimentary documents. I just co-sign everything that she just said. I love the our data bodies work. Really? Yeah, it shifts. Yeah, we want to do some sort of some targeted emailing on on this in particular to say one, two, three step, digest this, you know, like take two of these calls in the morning. This is where we sh where we should start. But what were, to want to just and I feel like now we're getting off into another tangible. What were the other you mentioned two other cities outside of Detroit that were some of the folks from our data bodies or maybe yeah. you didn't. She yeah, did. yeah. Charlotte, Charlotte was one of them. That's one of the ways in which we on how you all met. Kind of. I, I got. Mean, I think. I think I got responded to because people vouched for me in Charlotte because I'm oh, right. <laughs> an engaged researcher. So, yeah. Think yeah. I've done work here. So I, I think that's how I got a call back from Tawana initially. You I can like imagine how many researchers I hear from, and it was like Tamika Lewis, and I was like, oh, yeah, sure, I'm down. Yeah. Um, and LA is the other one, particularly working with Mariela Saba um, and Stop LAPD Spying and LA Can, and they were mostly focused on um, unhoused populations and Skid Row. And so uh, it, seeing how those communities who are unhoused um, experience these systems and how their data is shared and integrated mm -hmm. and how it a lot of times prevents them from becoming housed. Um, and from becoming, you know, uh, contributor, deeper contributors. We got a huge growing housing crisis. We just did a basic income march uh, a couple of days ago, and the majority of our growth in that, per that particular issue, has been with um, housing insecure folks and a, a bunch of the, you know, formerly homeless and and currently homeless uh, living in New York, sort of being activists around around this issue. We're getting ready to inherit a a whole new crisis after our moratorium uh, stops in New York. I'm a little shocked that no one from New York is already working with you all. Amy, I know you, that you all deal with the, the city, but mm -hmm. I'm a little shocked. And uh, now I feel- Well, you got some great folks there. You have you have yeah. some great folks there. You have uh, Dr. Ruha Benjamin, you have, um, you have Sita, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, um, Greta, um, and I'm blanking now, <laughs> sorry, Greta, but you have Community Tech New York, you have some folks there, and then there are so many folks in New York who are working on some of these issues, so I'm blanking because it's been a long day, just like you've had a long day, all of us had a long day, and yeah. I am going, Byram, Greta Byram, I'm sorry, I, I, I never forget her name, but anyway, there are folks who are working on various levels of access, in addition to working on uh, those uh, situations as well. And so I'm happy to do some connections around that. But you're right, New York is a particular beast because, you know, it's, it's going to be 100 times more than what we might experience um, in, you know, cities that aren't quite as large, but um, yeah, well, definitely worth. Yeah. And James, just to connect the dots a little bit with AISP, so our co-founder is Dennis Colhane. He's the researcher that did all the, the work that led to Housing First being like a HUD policy 
That wow. was all his research that was done in New York City in the 90s. Okay. So full circle. Like this is why ASP exists is to use administrative data to drive policy de decisions that are like truly, you know, sure. yeah. shifting policy in a good way to support residents. Yeah. Okay. And of well, course the poor people's campaign has folks everywhere yeah, they're here. Yeah. We're working on. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a good one. Okay. We have any intros you have? Cause I mean, I'm, we're going to, yeah, we're going to figure out how to do something yeah, hyper local on on the ground. Because, um, well, again, I'm, I'm embarrassed when you go, you know, Detroit, Charlotte, LA, and not, not New York, just on a personal note. But, but also, it's just this is a conversation that we're trying to, and we had some of these conversations earlier in the day with some California and ATL people about how we filter in these talks about data into whether it's our regular business life or regular you know activism life or regular governmental lives and so um anyway we want to we want to do a better job uh of that so uh, so thank you thank you both thank you uh, um, thank you everybody right. good, good dialogue i cut this thing off but yes all right <laughs> i'm gonna stop yeah all right thank you you still lie all right i'm still alive yes okay WHCR 90.3 FM, New York.